0: Hey guys, welcome to Tender Talk. So great to have you here with us today where we lead the conversations that matter. How are you guys doing on day 7 of the lockdown? I know it's been pretty challenging, pretty tough and you know, I think we've clocked over 2 months and with this recent spike of number of cases with in zimbabwe i know it's raised a lot of fear within the community but i think it's more of a reason for us to be more cautious and more aware of how deadly this coronavirus is and how much we need to do to curb this disease so this means wearing our masks this means going out only when it's necessary this means not going to visit your friends because you think you know things are now easy when it's not necessary. Let's do the best that we can to stay at home, to be safe and to just have rather a a love for a whole community by being together whilst apart. Anywho, you are listening to our part of our Black Excellence series and if you are joining this episode for the first time welcome 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 to the Tender Talks family we are so happy to have you here we have been doing a five-part Black Excellence series and basically in the series we are aiming to really portray the beauty resilience and power of Africa in our past present and our future and you know within our communities within the global aspect of things we've come to realize that the story of africa has usually been told to be one of dismay one of struggle one of no hope and you know just a continent that is riddled with such a dark history that there's no possibility that it can make anything out of its future but contrary to popular belief Africa is filled with so much potential with so much beauty and so much power that it can actually affect into our lives into the planet. and I think these are the stories that need to be told these are the things that need to be encouraged and you know we need to raise up generations of people who believe in their Africa who have faith and hope and love in their continent and know that they can do something to make a change so if you are joining for the first time do be sure to check out our previous episodes it has been a whirlwind we've been talking about amazing things we've been talking about ancient african kings and queens and uh the most recent one it was about african inventors so as you can see we're really trying to put out that image of africa that is really shown just to make you all aware of how beautiful our continent is. Anyways, now moving into the what's happening segments where we talk about what's happening in Zimbabwe, in Africa and in the world. Today is the 28th of May, which means that is is menstrual hygiene day. So if anyone who doesn't know what menstrual hygiene day is, it is a day that aims to bring awareness of the importance of menstrual hygiene within the global community. So, now taking it back to rather the African community and the African perspective of this, um, I think menstrual health has been something that a lot of activists have been fighting for and advocating for within their communities because there is quite a gap when it comes to how we are addressing these issues. I won't deny and say that Africa hasn't been making active change towards the healthcare system In in the last episode, we are actually talking about how engineering students from Dakar were actively working to create robots that would help doctors be able to reach their patients remotely, such that they'll be able to curb the the exposure that they get to the coronavirus pandemic. And I found that to be so amazing because, you know, these are our own students, our own youth, actively making the change within the health industry that can... Proved to do so many things in the future So yes, Africa is doing The things when it comes to the health industry But we should also Acknowledge the things that it may not Be doing, the things that need to be done And one thing that really needs to be Worked on I think is Menstrual health education Menstrual health accessibility Because what you'll find is that In the African community Access to sanitary products Is increasingly becoming Harder and harder and when you really think about it, menstruation is something that should be considered at a global level. It is a global health topic that should be treated at, at that level of respect. So when menstrual health, or sanitary products rather, become inaccessible to the average day woman, to the woman who can't afford basic needs, what are we saying as a community about how we view someone and their health so it now leads me to a very interesting topic which is called pink tax and if you don't know what pink tax is it's basically a phenomenon ascribed to gender-based price discrimination whereby women pay extra tax for feminine products such as razors or shampoos or haircuts and the like and sanitary products are no exception to this. So you'll find that in a lot of communities uh, there is a tax that is added to sanitary products when you have to pay them, a value added tax and a lot of critics have been arguing and debating around this, saying that a basic essential need should not have a tax imposed upon it. It's basically dehumanizing the, the lifestyle that we have to live through for you know most of our lives most of our our womanhood and you know when looking at a grander scheme of things we start to see how much that has affected the african communities because we have lack of resources because we have problems including lack of water inadequate disposal areas lack of privacy measures it has often led a lot of women in rural and urban communities to resort to unhygienic measures just to make sure that their menstrual period is not um, as stressful as it may be. So they end up going to use products such as old clothes, paper, cotton, wall pieces and even leaves such that they may curb their bleeding. But, you know, we are probably one of the most health conscious generations to ever exist. And because of that... The very notion of thinking that someone using old clothes or someone even using cotton or wool pieces is something that is scary to me. Probably 100 years ago, it was something that was rather welcomed. But now that we know so much about diseases, now that we know so much about our health and how there are better things that we can use, it's disheartening to see that some people have to use this because they have no other choice and because they don't have access to this. So this is something that really needs to be challenged and which is why I think that this is a very special day that we need to celebrate and also allow ourselves to raise our ears and open our hearts and our hands to do whatever we can to, to really support this movement, this this action towards making sanitary products available for all. So I'm just going to end with some interesting facts. In 2018, Scotland became the first country in the world to provide free sanitary products in schools, colleges and universities. Second fact is, Zimbabwe suspended imposing duty on sanitary wear for women from the period of 1 December 2019 to 13 November 2020. This means that sanitary wear is exempted from paying value-added tax and it is not charged in terms of Statutory Instrument 265 of 2018 and of 4 of Statutory 4 2020. Well done, homeland. And um, the last point I'd like to address is that a reusable sanitary waste such as lunar cups or washable cloth pads may be the future of sustainable menstrual hygiene. Now, I know this has raised a lot of uh, concerns across the globe because... When entertaining the idea of menstrual health, no one really is keen about touching their own menstrual blood. Most people would rather just dispose of it and not see it and get it over and done with. Some people even um burn them. I remember, I forgot who told me. But, um you know, she told me that back in their day when they were in boarding school, what would happen is they would get... um They would get... All the all the menstrual waste, and then they'll put it in like a ditch, and then they'll burn it. So we're now looking at it uh, as as a global concern in terms of climate change, and even the way in which we view sustainability. And people are proposing that reusable sanitary wear is actually probably good. And I haven't tried any reusable sanitary wear, though I know that there are a lot that exist. There are the Luna cups, there are the washable cloth pads, the one that you put on and then, like, you know, it has this it has this little, um, I can't say Velcro, the the mechanical form of Velcro. I'm sorry, my fashion fabrics is bad. But, um, Yeah. Uh, I'm still skeptical about using it, but I think I would like to open myself to using it in the near future. I think it's a good way to move as a as a socially conscious or environmentally conscious individual, and um, you know, looking the grander scheme of things. Also question ourselves how how do we remain accountable to our community and our environment and also to our people. Anyways, we're moving out of the what's happening segment. We're now moving into the topic of the day. So if you were on my Instagram before this episode has been released, you would come to find that I posted Uh, a question of four images and I said what do these four images all have in common and uh, you know now we're going to reveal it. Today's topic is Africa's greatest contributions to world civilization. Now like I said before the narrative of Africa is usually representative As one that is primitive one that has no future one that has no hope and has done nothing for this world and usually because a lot of Western scholars or even Western people come to think that Africa was primitive they use it as a means of justification for slavery and colonialism so basically they're saying you know what you guys weren't that smart to begin with so when we did what we did it really didn't make any effect but it really did because our communities were so beautiful our communities were so expansive and knowledgeable in ways that we didn't know because we don't have this knowledge of ourselves our african history is not documented enough it's not taught enough within our schools it's not talked about within our social media spaces and This is what needs to change. This is what needs to enable us as Africans to become conscious of who we are as people. And through that consciousness, we can conscientize ourselves to act in according ways that unites us as Africans to be able to... To be the people we want to be, the change we want for our countries and for our greater continents. So, like I said, we're gonna be talking about ancient Africa's greatest contributions to world civilization not scratch that ancient because (laughs) some of them are actually quite recent but um i know for some people it's actually going to be quite hard to believe but i urge you to come here with an open mind like i would always say and um just allow yourselves to learn a bit about our continents and hopefully change your way of thinking about who we are anyways our first contribution that africa changed and affected in the world was astronomy so we are going all the way to west africa to the dogon dogon tribe of mali and these people were some of the greatest intellectual beings to ever exist so they had vast knowledge of astronomy and really lived it through their lifestyles and beliefs and mainly their beliefs were in line with cosmology of which cosmology is actually a sub category or a branch of astronomy concerned with the studies of origin and evolution of the universe from the big bang to today and into the future it's really really the scientific study of origin evolution and the eventual fate of the universe and their belief system was really in line with that and um you know some of their knowledge was so advanced and it was so amazing to see that their knowledge of some of the things that the modern day world or the Western world only came to understand of much, 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 much later. So if you guys know about a certain star called Sirius, it's, uh, of course, we can't see it with the naked eye, but I think, I don't know in terms of dimensions how much bigger it is than, than the sun here within our small Milky Way galaxy, but it is a huge star. And apparently around the time of, 3200 BC they came to find out that Sirius the star had two components it had Sirius A and Sirius B and this was something that western scientists only figured out in the 20th century but they knew this from 3200 BC so that says something about our Dogon tribe they were very advanced they knew quite a lot and you know it's it's pretty beautiful to see how how our african communities had so much intellect and so much wisdom within them so according to them the sirius a which is the brightest star in the earth's night sky had a much dimmer companion called sirius b which has a 50 year elliptical orbit around the bright sirius a and it's extremely dense so how i'd like to see it would be okay let's say let's say the moon is Sirius B and it's dense and we've got the sun which is Sirius A so Sirius B or the moon revolves around the sun every 50 years and these dogon people used to celebrate this or rather commemorate um the elliptical orbit of of Sirius B around Sirius A every 60 years now people don't know why they did it every 60 years over 50 years but that was pretty badass and actually accurate towards their knowledge and understanding of astronomy and the way in which they they allowed themselves to understand things and i think i think that's something that's not accredited enough so yes we just talked about the dogon tribe and um their celebration called sigu or Sigui, I don't know how to pronounce it, S I G U I. And I think the next celebration or the next ritual they are to have will be in 2027. So, uh, seven years from now, we'll see what happens. Anyways, moving on to the next great contribution Africa made to the world is architecture. Now, I'm coming from a position whereby. You know as Africans I remember I saw this tweet I don't know I think it was a year back where it was it was comparing um rural Africa to urban Africa so it was a hut against uh, a skyscraper and um you know people were just commenting about it then someone was like why can't we appreciate both and really why can't we allow ourselves to appreciate both why do we come to think that mud huts were anything of a primitive nature when in fact they were probably some of the greatest inventions to ever exist when it came to civilization but anyways moving from that and moving deeper in actually coming to my homeland which is zimbabwe architecture has been such a major contribution that africans have made throughout history we've got the pyramids in in Egypt in um, olden day Nubia, which is now modern day Sudan. We have got the wars of Benin, which unfortunately were collapsed. We've got so many structures that were created by Africans. And today I'm really going to be highlighting Great Zimbabwe, which is actually. <laughs> I just gotta say I'm from that string world, so you know. <laughs> Anyways, this has been have been a really good time to play. Uh, this beautiful song by Aurelius called Man from Machine, but you know, I'm probably going to link it later on. But, anywho, Great Zimbabwe is the largest stone complex in Africa, and it was supposed to be built in the 11th century. And what made Great Zimbabwe so magnificent was the advanced stone masonry that the structures exhibited. If you go to Zimbabwe right now, these structures still exist and they haven't fledged a bit. Okay, of course there are some structures which were broken, but all in all, it's pretty solid. I think the last time that I went there was 2008, and I was, I was still a, I was still a little baby. But I think I would really love to go there again and and see how beautiful and how structural it was, and what amazed a lot of uh, travelers, especially from Europe, was how they never used mortar to construct their- to construct their buildings because back in that time the main material that was used was mortar which is kind of like our modern day cement which they used to keep the buildings together but it seems like our ancestors didn't need any of that they were able to somehow calculate how to create those structures together without anything just them balancing on top of each other and we can still see those structures to this very day that is zimbabwe in Mashringo and actually there's a statement that I actually want to cite it is by Vicente Pegado who was actually uh captain of the Portuguese garrison of Sofala in the 16th century when he went to Great Zimbabwe this is what he said among the gold mines of the inland plains between the Limpopo and Zambezi rivers there is a fortress built of stones of marvelous size and there appears to be no mortar joining them this edifice is almost surrounded by hills upon which are others resembling it in the fashioning of stone and the absence of mortar and one of them is a tower more than 12 fathoms high the natives of the country called these edifice edifices simbao which according to their language signifies court now what makes this amazing is that a lot of people or a lot of um, philosophers and travelers and explorers used to think that the Zimbabweans didn't make this. They assumed that Phoenicians came into the Mastrungo area and built these structures and then left. They just countercredited Zimbabweans to the excellence that they have. And rather, the general belief that Africans can't do amazing things is still a problem to a lot of western scholars or western ancient scholars so yeah that that's something that i really wanted to put out repping my home country that is zimbabwe so yeah architecture we have done amazing things we've got so many amazing structures and you know you get to know these things through tourism I really encourage people to do tourism inland, within your continent first, within your country, then move to your continent. We've got so many amazing things that need to be seen, that need to be represented and celebrated. You know, guys, I would rather you go to to Mali before you go to 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 France. Okay, not not as a means to to push ourselves away from the outward world, but for us to gain an understanding and appreciation of our own continents, we need to support our own continent. Anyways, moving away from that, getting into the third contribution that Africa made to the world was mathematics. Yeah, um, I didn't make that contribution. <laughs> My A-level marks can be a testimony of that. But... Um, Mathematics in Africa was probably one of the most brilliant contributions that Africa made. Some scholars actually um, say that one of the oldest known tools in human history for mathematics was found in Africa. And um, this is called the Ishango Bone, which is which was originally found in Uganda around 8,500 BC, and apparently there is an artifact of the shango bone, but it is so precious that it can only be seen by special arrangement at the Royal Institute of National Sciences in Brussels, Belgium. So basically, what the Shango bone is is that it was or it is. mathematical tool made out of the fibula of a baboon and a sharp piece of quartz is fixed to one end and people used to say that it was for engraving so people used to think that it was used for it's, it's just a tally stick that it didn't have much relevance but as recent research and findings have come uh people have started to question that and have come to realize that maybe it was used as a lunar calendar so this this bone had three rows of notch markings and within the three rows each row is represented a different kind of mathematical concept so the first row was a series of com- calculations based on the number 10 the second row contained prime numbers between 10 and 20 and the third row was a multiplication table and um you know they say that it was used according to the lunar calendar but another way in which um mathematics was mainly used within the african communities was in calculations that were used to predict drought or crop yield or something around that area so you can see that our communities were actively invested into the beauty of mats. We had that knowledge within ourselves. We had that intelligence to be able to create our own tools from the Shango people in the very beautiful heart of Africa, which is Uganda. And, you know, that's beautiful and something that needs to be acknowledged more often. And you'll find that a lot of times um, people think that like I said before, Africa didn't have anything that it did. It didn't have any knowledge and it only developed at a later stage. But as you can see from all these from all these comments, from all these facts, that Africa was very much indeed intelligent and it knew quite a number of things. Anyways, we're moving into the fourth contribution Africa really gifted the world with. And that was writing. Now, like I said most of Africa's history is usually presented as one of darkness. I think I'm going to just keep on saying this so that we solidify how bad it is knowing how much beauty I'm accounting of that is not being spoken about. But anyways, most of Africa's history was passed down orally and um, because of that, oral traditions of passing down something broken telephone is is a very good (laughs) example of how um rather the, the the passing down of knowledge can then be diluted over time but quite a number of areas or regions within africa adopted writing and hieroglyphics was actually one of the first forms of writing and um Moving into that, I know a lot of people, when they think of hieroglyphics, they automatically think of Egypt and the pyramids and the mummification process and everything around that. But we actually want to move into a space that people don't really talk about. And that is Nubia, specifically in Mero and we are talking about the kingdom of kush if you remember or this word or phrase rings a bell it's actually because last episode what well, the previous previous episode we were talking about an important queen who actually was the queen of kush so if you want to hear more about her do head to our previous episode. So the Kushites developed a form of writing called the Meroitic text. And up to today, it's still a very complex text that a lot of people haven't, and a lot of scholars haven't come to decipher yet. And this text was probably really brilliant in the way that it influenced a lot of civilizations that surrounded uh, the kingdom of Kush, being Greece and Rome. So apparently, the Phoenicians actually copied the text and took it to Greece and that's how the Greek system of writing became developed and rather advanced so a lot of scholars actually consider the Kush system of writing to be superior to the Egyptian system and um, what they're basically saying is that the people within Mero had reduced the multitude of hieroglyphic signs to 23 basic signs which Kind of translates to what we have nowadays, which is an alphabet. And unlike the Egyptian system, this alphabet also included vowel sounds, which was a great improvement for the hieroglyphic system, as well as including a sign marking the division of words, which was an uncommon feature in ancient writing. So there are two ta- there were two kinds of meritic scripts. There were hieroglyphs, which were apparently adapted from Egypt's system, and the so-called cursive or demotic writing, which seems to be a distinctive Meroitic invention that they made themselves, although it may have been influenced by the Egyptian demotic as well. So there was actually an account of it by uh, a Greek, I, I believe he was a Greek philosopher called Theodorus Sicilus, And he spent his time with an Egyptian priest. And in that time, he actually talked to to um the priest and this is what the priest said they say also that the egyptians are colonists sent out by the ethiopians osiris having been the leader of the colony for speaking generally what is now egypt they maintain was not land but sea when in the beginning the universe was being formed afterwards however as a now during times of its inundation carried down the mud from ethiopia land was gradually built up from the deposit also the statement that all the land of egyptians is alluvial silt deposited by the river receives the clearest proof in their opinion from what takes place at the outlets of the nile for as each year new mud is continually gathered together at the mouths of the river the sea is observed being thrust back by the deposited silt and the land receiving the increase And the larger part of the customs of Egyptians are they hold Ethiopian, the colonists still preserving their ancient manners. For instance, the belief that their kings are gods, the very special attention which they pay to their burials, and many other matters of a similar nature are Ethiopian practices, while the shapes of their statues and the forms of their letters are Ethiopian. While the shapes of their statues and the forms of their letters are Ethiopian. For of the two kinds of writing which the Egyptians have, that which is known as poplar, is learned for, by everyone. Which, While that which is called sacred is understood by only the priests of the Egyptians who learn it from their fathers as one of the things which are not divulged, but among the Ethiopians, everyone uses these forms of letters. We must now speak about the Ethiopian writing, which is called hieroglyphic among the Egyptians, in order that we may not omit anything from our discussion of their antiquities. So this was a lot about writing, and it comes to show us that Egypt wasn't the only area or rather kingdom that did this and that's beautiful because we have diversity so this is another thing that africa contributed into world civilization and i hope through this you know we come to get a greater understanding of our community and our greater continent that we are not who we are called we're not who we have been told we are for all these centuries we are actually more than that and you know we need to come and appreciate and value our our beauty, our intelligence, our intellect and be able to express that in everything. You know there are so many more things that Africa contributes to the world from metallurgy to the iron age to medicine and you know these are the things that need to be celebrated. They need to be talked about more. And I'm challenging you all to go read more for yourself. Go deeper into this and you know gain an understanding of who you are and where you come from. So you know, we're just coming in to the end of this episode and it's it's really beautiful and it's been a beautiful episode. And, you know, we've had an amazing, amazing playlist, hailing music from all over Africa. We have Zimbabwe in the house. We have South Africa. We have Tanzania. We have Cameroon. Guys, it's such a beautiful mix. We have everyone here and it's such a beauty and i'm hoping that in everything we may come to love who we are as a continent and come to appreciate where we are and where we're going so thank you all for tuning into this episode you can definitely link with me on instagram at tender.talks or on my twitter at pod. thank you so much guys and have an amazing day